Hello. This is required viewing. You got it? Good? What? Now. What? What are you asking for? It's raining horses. Oh my gosh. And spiders. It's raining pigs. <laughs> and other stuff. Rabbits. More rabbits. And rabbits and rabbits. There's a lot of rabbits. Are you ready for animals? I love animals. It's book it time. There you go. Book it. <laughs> What you talking about, Willis? What you, I didn't even say, what you talking about, Book It? <laughs> we just talk about that Book It. That That's where in line with Shaft. <laughs> I'm just talking about Book It. Book It. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we, when we finish this season, the last episode, depending on what happens with our last episode, that's a little up in the air right now, but we should get pizza. We should have a pizza party. At the end of the season? Yeah, for the end of the Book It season. Oh my god, that's a great! I, that's a great gonna, fucking idea. It's not going to be like food ASMR. Like I'm not going to sit here and eat, eat, pizza on, eat on mic. <laughs> but like I don't know, you'll hear a pizza guy show up in the corner and be like, "Ding dong!" We didn't talk about how we had like a whole Christmas thing when we did the ra- round table last year, and we all made food and had a big old party. It was a good time. We should have a pizza party. We should just have a in pizza spirit party. of school and reading. Let's have a pizza party. Welcome back to the Require Viewing Podcast. I'm Aaron. I'm Chloe. <laughs> And <laughs> I am. we were, you are Chloe. Thanks for remembering. I appreciate dementia hasn't set in yet. Not yet. Well, our movie is like movie watching good for dementia. Does no, it bring I, back memories? Does it make maybe, it worse? I don't know. Are we going to be, be all I'm asking is, is are we going to be better off? Someone send worse? us the research on movie watching and dementia. Are we better off or worse for watching the but amount of movies that we While we can remember things, uh, we were on the yesteryear Ballyhoo review podcast. Their one hundredth yeah. episode, one hundred episodes. One Zach Eastman has been jabbing about movies and with amazing people, amazing guests. We were part of a roundtable. We, we talked had, about movies. We had a ton of fun, and we talked about Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes, the which franchise. Is so, but then it got well, into a much deeper talked- conversation. <laughs> yeah, it did. I mean, we talked about the first. The kickoff of all the franchises. We didn't watch all the Planet of the Apes movies. Just the Charlton Heston one. Just the one with all the best sound clips. Absolutely. Much. So go check that out. Head on over to the Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review. It's Spotify. not just jokes. We talk about very serious social topics. Yeah, I know. We we really bummed Zach's podcast out. We got real, <laughs> real at serious end. at the end there. But <laughs> it was really good. It was a very interesting conversation. So head on over. Support our other friends, Zach and Tyler Maybe, and all our other podcasting buddies. So head on over and check that out. Murbach, Captain America. Yeah. <laughs> uh, AKA the Grinch. Matt Murbach, who was our Grinch last year. Do you... Remember back when? Oh, I'm going to leave that. That's going (laughs) to die. This week, however, we have a triple dose of cute critters and some childhood favorites. I'm really looking forward to talking about these movies and seeing how well they aged. Their cuteness is only a ruse to talk about (laughs) the deeper issues looming at bay. Uh, But pray tell, what are the movies? We have Charlotte's Web from 1973. Watership Down from 1978. They were really heavy into the animal movies in the 70s. 70s. And then rounding it out with Black Beauty from 1994. 
So besides that, I don't have a ton of business at the top, so let's just dive in. Other than, you know, thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you for listening. Continued thanks. So Charlotte's Web, early one morning, Fern Arable prevents her father, John, from slaughtering a piglet as a runt of the litter. This is painful. It's We're coming in hot. With, He's like, I'm going to murder this tiny pig in like, front of you. You're a dumb bitch, Fern. This is how this works. <laughs> we live on a farm. And she's like, no. He decides to let Fern deal with nurturing the piglet. John allows Fern to raise it as a pet. She nurtures it lovingly, naming it Wilbur. Six weeks later, Wilbur, due to being like a pig, <laughs> has matured. And John tells Fern that Wilbur has to be sold. His siblings have already been sold because they're much bigger than him. But he also says that it's her pet. Yeah, he's so like, here, I'm going to take this back now. So the lessons he's teaching her are really confusing. I want to talk about, bring me back to pet pigs at the end of this. Okay. I'm going to do a shout out to a famous pig <laughs> okay. that we know. Maybe we'll get her on the babe? podcast. <laughs> we, I don't know, babe, but I know another good one. Fern sadly says goodbye to Wilbur as he is sold down the street to her uncle, Homer Zuckerman. At the Zuckerman farm, a goose coaxes a sullen Wilbur to speak his first words. And everybody else regrets it promptly. Exactly. Although delighted at his new ability, Wilbur still yearns for companionship. He attempts to get the goose to play with him, but she declines on the condition that she has to hatch her eggs. Wilbur also tries asking a rat named Templeton to play with him. We're going to talk Templeton about the Templeton. Templeton. We're going to talk about who voices Templeton at the end here. I'm really excited to talk about. I don't want to do anything. I just want to eat trash. Oh my gosh, that was really good. That was a Thanks. great impression. Thanks. Air high five. <laughs> Wilbur wants to play with a lamb, but the lamb's father says sheep don't play with pigs because it's only a matter of time before pigs get slaughtered Jesus. and turned into bacon or ham. You stupid pig. We're above you. We're a sheep. Little Not did like they know that lamb, lamb chops. is a delicacy, dude. <laughs> Pot calling the kettle black here. Horrified. You're all being set up for slaughter. Horrified at this depressing discovery, Wilbur reduces himself to tears until a mysterious voice tells him to chin up and waits till morning to reveal herself to him. The following morning, she reveals to be a spider named Charlotte. A cavatica, which I think is probably a reference to the I, type of spider. Yeah, shoes. yeah, yeah. Living on a web in the corner of Homer's barn, overlooking Wilbur's pen, she tells him that she will come up with a plan guaranteed to spare his life. Later, that's a tall order. I know, right? She really signs up a for a lot. Spider dude, like, what do you? I, I'm just curious. What's your fucking plan? She's like, don't worry about it. Just trust me. He's like, I'm a pig. I just learned how to talk. Later, the goose's goslings hatch. One of them named Jeffrey. Jeffrey! <laughs> Befriends Wilbur. Eventually, Charlotte reveals her plan to, quote, play a trick on Zuckerman, end quote, and consoles Wilbur to sleep. Fern and Avery visit the barn that same day. Avery tries to capture Charlotte, but is foiled by the stench of a rotten egg. The next, it's a dud. It's a dud. She's so aggressive. Yeah, she's so funny. I, I mean, she's being fucking... realistic about the reality of stillborn eggs in the goose world, I guess. For sure. The next morning, Homer's farmhand, Larvy, sees the word, some pig, spun within Charlotte's web. Freaks out. 
The incident attracts publicity among Homer's neighbors who deem the praise a miracle. The publicity eventually dies down. <laughs> kind of. Because <laughs> that's people, man. They're like, all right, we've seen it. And after a hornet lands on Charlotte's web and ruins the message, Charlotte requests... I don't think she's too disappointed. No, I think she's, she's like, mm, snack. lunch. <laughs> Charlotte requests the barn animals to devise a new word to spin within her web. After several suggestions, the goose suggests the phrase, terrific, terrific, terrific. <laughs> Charlotte decides like, to shorten it to just one. Kill Let's that just goose, do one. man. She understands the comedy rule of thirds, okay? Leave her alone. After a while, it's a little grating, 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 okay? (laughs) (laughs) The incident becomes another media sensation, though Homer still desires to slaughter Wilbur because, you know, he's a pig. That's his literal existence on this planet. All of these are just stays of execution. Exactly. For the next message... Charlotte then employs Templeton to pull a word from a magazine clipping at the dump for inspiration, in which he returns with the word (laughs) radiant, ripped off a soapbox to spin within her web. Following this, Homer decides to enter Wilbur in the county fair for the summer. Charlotte reluctantly decides to accompany him because no one understands the life cycle of a spider. (laughs) Though Templeton (laughs) at first says... Zero interest in doing so until the goose tells him all about the food there. And then there's a really sweet song. What we're missing in all this description is all the fucking music. There's so much singing. Right. So much. The Templeton song Fanfare. is my favorite. Absolutely. Oh, his food song? I loved that. It was great. That was the best song of the whole movie. Absolutely. Still my favorite from childhood. It's a song about gluttony. I mean, <laughs> I want to play that song when I'm eating like a right, meal. Right, right. After one night there, Charlotte sends Templeton to the trash pile on another errand to gather another word for the next message, in which he returns with the word humble. The next morning, Wilbur awakens to find Charlotte has spun an egg sack containing her unborn offspring. The following afternoon, the word humble is spun. However, Fern's brother Avery discovers another pig named Uncle, who has won first place. Though the county fair staff decides to hold a celebration in honor of Homer's miraculous pig and rewards him a whopping $25, an engraved bronze medal. He then announces that he will allow Wilbur to live to a ripe old age. Exhausted from laying eggs and writing words and doing slave labor for a pig who's very ungrateful. <laughs> Sorry. So he's like, Charlotte, what am I going to do? Solve all my life problems. I'm just a pig. Right. Charlotte tells Wilbur she will remain at the fair to die. Not willing to let her children be abandoned, Wilbur has Templeton retrieve her egg sack and take it back to the farm. You do something for me now. <laughs> right. Just, this is all happening like moments before she dies. She's just like, what? Done. <laughs> <laughs> take my kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what happens. It feels very Les Mis, you it know, does, where he's yeah. like, the moment he's like, I'm too weak to lift everything, he dies. <laughs> yeah. He's smash cut to him in like a, his death chair. Once he returns to Homer's farm, he guards the egg sack through the winter. The next spring, Charlotte's 514 children are hatched. Because she knew, because she counted them. She did. That was a lot of work. And then Wilbur's codependency comes out again. (laughs) Where are you going? 
going? I thought all 514 of you were going to stay stay, with me forever. They all leave and he gets real sad and he wants to run away. But just as he's about to run away, the ram points out that three of them did not fly away. Pleased at finding his Because they couldn't. (laughs) Yeah, they were too scrawny to you. They were the runts of the Spider-Verse. Yeah, he names them Joy, Nellie, and Aaron. Names don't matter. They're in, it for, they're in it for two seconds. And no one gives a shit. He's probably, they're going to get stepped on. They're not as great as their mother. <laughs> oh anyway, God. Oh my God. as much as he loves them, they're not going to replace Charlotte. He's still fucking sad. Why should we give a shit? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, it slaps a little different in your 30s because I feel like I relate more to that fucking rat as I've aged. 30 year old person, yeah. Absolutely. Well, you're like, fuck off. I want my food. I mean, yeah, I'll gladly. I want to go to the fair food. and eat fucking I go to fair, the fair food when no one else is around, right? Like, yeah, man. have the fair to yourself. There's all. The, I mean, I don't want trash. Don't let's get clear that up real quick. I don't want trash. I want real good food. But I mean, but most fair food is. Trash. Is trash, but yeah. I don't want trash is trash. I want fresh trash. If I'm gonna get, if I'm gonna get trash, I want fresh trash. Dude, I got two words about this movie. Debbie Reynolds. Oh, was she Charlotte? <sighs> she was Charlotte. Actually, uh, so let's just talk about the casting. That's why she we was like, like pipe down now. Yeah, man. So in January of '72, it was reported that Henry Gibson and Debbie Reynolds and Tony Randall had all signed on to provide the voices of Wilbur, Charlotte, and Templeton. Henry Gibson. Yeah. Is, what is he from again? Henry Gibson. He did a lot of TV and stuff. Okay. Ronan. The Burbs. Uh, He's the old guy from okay, The Burbs. Okay, okay. But he was much oh, younger. there we go. We yeah. Nutty professor. Nutty professor. He was a college student. Though. The Longer Bye. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Incredible Shrinking Woman. Yeah, he had a pretty stellar career. Um, So we had Henry Gibson, Debbie Reynolds, Tony Randall all signed on to do the top three. Writing in his autobiography, Berbera wrote that Reynolds had called him and said that she was willing to join the project even without being paid. That's how much she wanted to do this. She was a big fan of the book. Although Randall had completed all of his voice work, co-director Iwo Takamoto. Thank you, friend. Wow. I don't know. That that sounded a lot better than what I was going (laughs) to say. He wrote that his readings just kind of fell flat. Which surprised everybody. <laughs> and Tony's delivery was a bit too sophisticated and his singing was too operatic. They didn't have enough really? of that like raunching sort of vibe. Mm-hmm. So they felt that Randall needed to be replaced and they approached Paul Lynn. Yeah, okay. There and we go. Now like, that we get sounds a lot. There we go. I know more. that you were confused. And that's like, what happened. Here. Basically, he did his entire job, and they were like, "Wow, we miscast you grossly. We got to do it How do again you get with somebody that else." Late in the game, and realize that it's dude. I don't know. I don't know. After don't like know. take one, you'd be like, mm, maybe he voiced characters in *Perilous* of the Penelope Pit Stop and other Hanna Barbera TV shows at the time. And to do a reading, Lind was officially cast the following spring. Which was followed by Agnes Moorhead, Rex Allen, Pamela Fernandez, um, Martha Scott. They all joined the cast. I know that you wanted to talk a little bit about Hanna Barbera. Yeah, well, it makes sense that Paul Lind is part of this. He just has a very iconic voice. 
that definitely. It was a voice that takes me to like 70s game shows. Yes. That's what I was going to say. Holly, wasn't he on Hollywood Squares? Yeah. I'm pretty sure. And that he's just like. $10,000 pyramid and all those weird wacky he had to do celebrity something. game shows. Yeah. That was. He had a recognizable voice so that's why whenever he was like i just want to eat trash i'm pollen i was like you do a really good pollen that was I watched pretty a stellar, lot of dude Hanna barbera cartoons when i was a kid man i think that's why i think just you and i were talking recently about not being a hundred percent raised by tv but heavily influenced and definitely my parents raised. had other shit to do parenting <laughs> was maybe not in their top five things that was going on Maybe we had more access to TV and educational TV, so definitely Parental watched a healthy share of PBS. Had not been invented, but Hanna Barbera was my shit for sure. Coming from a house of animators and people that were doing all kinds of creative endeavors, for those of you who don't know, Hanna, which I don't know, it's an even split. It's our younger audience that maybe won't know, but our older audience that will definitely be like hundred percent. I fucks with Hanna Barbera for sure. American Animation Studio, which is why I wanted to bring it up. Usually everything gets shipped off to Japan or Korea, even though the co-director's name was very clearly Japanese. Yes. And I think that you find that a lot. So it's an American Animation Studio. They were active from 1957 to 2001. ECW still co-directed by a Japanese director. Hanna-Barbera was absorbed into Warner Brothers Animation in 2001, if you are wondering what happened Oh, wow. To okay, it. okay. Yes. But as a total, they won eight Emmy Awards. As a studio. Nice. So they were founded by around July 7th, 1957 by William Hanna and Joseph Barbera following the decision of MGM to close its in-house cartoon studio. Mm, okay. So they went from one big one, started their own, got absorbed into another one pretty much. They are responsible for Huckleberry Hound, the Flintstones, Yogi Bear, the Jetsons, mm -hmm. Top Cat, Johnny Quest, the Smurfs, and Scooby-Doo. That's why they have a very recognizable style. As soon as this flipped on, I was like, I recognize this. But they yep. also do a very good job in the beginning of being like, Hanna-Barbera. Yeah. Did you wonder who this was? Wonder no more. The profitability of Saturday morning cartoons was eclipsed by weekday afternoon syndication. After studios' fortunes declined by the 1980s, they decided to just do away with Saturday morning cartoons. And they were showing them all the time. Yeah. Yeah, they should. Yeah, more frequently, definitely in the eighties, definitely in the nineties. Once Cartoon Network came about, that also kind of changed the game because a lot of those. But I feel like it Hanna wasn't Barbera as prevalent because we still had there. Saturday morning cartoons. We did well into the nineties. Animaniacs was Saturday morning. Mm -hmm. There's certain ones that X Men only came was Saturday on, morning. On Saturday morning, yeah. Dude, OG I X Men. Loved waking up for some X Men and OG fucking Spider Man. All the OG comic book cartoons that were much better than the Marvel shit they're putting out now. Oh, 100%. Had much better plot devices and stuff. Oh, yeah. It made more sense in that but I'm, th I'm pretty capacity. sure Bat wasn't Batman the animated series? Maybe that was a weeknight show. See, and then some of them were weeknight shows, but there was a very specific, I definitely remember Animaniacs and like Baby Looney Tunes on Saturday morning. I have an idea. I think... Because I learned a little factoid that we're going to talk about next week about certain animation studios being around Portland. There's definitely a plethora in L.A., but I feel like there should be – so there's a big push right now. I've been sending that shit about the whole Texas yeah, yeah, push yeah, yeah, yeah. to bring 
techs and jobs there. Mm. And I loved the clip I found. I specifically sent it to you with Dennis Quaid on Fox News talking about it because that's a he's trying uh, to go to the people. Obviously, Fox News is probably pretty but prevalent it's not in Texas. Just him. There no, was it's like a Owen Wilson. And, there was like a bunch uh, of other people. Fucking all right, all right, all right. Matthew, Matthew McConaughey. McConaughey. Yeah. Because he teaches at Texas University. He does. And Billy Bob Thornton, too, was, he's like, I'm not from Texas, but I've shot a lot of movies in Texas. I seem like I'm, <laughs> I'm from just Texas. Billy Bob. I know, he's like, that's literally My name's what Billy it, Bob. That's literally what it is. They're like, I seem like I'm from Texas, but I'm just going to, I'm just in here because I got friends from Texas. <laughs> I mean, they shit on Oklahoma a little bit, but. Who doesn't? Um, I'm from Kansas. I'm from the other side. Literally, Oklahoma is sandwiched in between Texas and but Kansas. But I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to build up the economy and make it. I feel like it's good for more authentic representations of the areas that you're filming in. But I guess if you can get the get the point across, you know what I mean? Like you, mm-hmm, you can still mm-hmm. believe that it's that place. But I thought about this idea that there should be more local animation studios that partner with local libraries. For your PBS station, for your local stations. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, you could treat them as like an archive of animation. It would boost the jobs and economy of local animators, which would give you more representation of different animation styles. That's interesting. That's an interesting thought. And they support one another because you could then go look at those viewings and showings at the library. That would be dope. Support your local PBS. And local library. And NPR. And us. <laughs> um, you wanted to know the life cycle of a spider? Like the amount of days. Like that was kind of the whole thing. I was one like, man, year, this One year on forever. average. One year on average. Okay. So 365 days roughly. That's about what she lived. However, however, they can go anywhere from one to seven years. Depending on the spider. Depending on the spider. And again, depending on the spider, they can live up to 30 fucking years, which yeah, is just like tarantulas live a long time. Mm-hmm. They live a very long time. Do so you on know average, tarantulas one, like are one to seven. so, like, the most, most kind of worthless spider that there is. It's their bodies are so squishy. If they drop from the smallest amount of height, their bodies just like die. Really? really? If they get any sort of impact damage whatsoever, they die. I found this out recently. They don't really it's called have survival of the fittest. That means they're, they're going huge. out. If you can't serve, they're huge, but they can't survive a fall. Oh, is it like their own weight is what? Correct. I think so. They're just so big. And you, yeah, they, they can't kill fall. themselves. But if I remember, I don't really know the details of the life of the tarantula, but I think they're more Ew, like so a if floor they, like, dwelling spider. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, they're, they're not, not climbers. Trees. They're not big climbers. They're not the tiny ones. So what I'm hearing is throw a tarantula off of something and you'll be good to go. But don't break its fall. Honestly, if I had to get a spider as a pet, I'd get a tarantula. I used to be very Why do you want a spider as a pet? I wouldn't really. You also have cats, girl. (laughs) Tarantulas are like the dogs of the arachnid world. They're also like the juiciest snack of the cat world, I imagine. Oh, yeah. No, I want to get fish to entertain the cats. Spiders. I I feel a lot less bad if the cats eat the fish. I mean, no shade if you got spiders as a pet, but not my bag. Not me either. Different arachnids for different folks. Because I'm a weird, creepy kid, I have thought about it. There's like, as a goth kid, there's like the goth pets. You got like bats and spiders and snakes. You want a bat flying all up in your face, though? I would love to have a bat. Rabies and all? Fruit bats. Well, 
They bite it's you not going to get rabies, but fruit bats are really cute. I think they're they really can cute. get rabies. Oh, yeah, you mean but, your pet, your pet bat. But if you're taking care of it and not a wild fucking bat, then you try to imagine giving a rabies shot to a fucking bat. They do it. I know, but you can watch it on Animal Planet. Seems difficult. You gotta wrestle that tiny little winged rodent and hope that it sits still for a minute to take his medicine. They just hold the wings down. They don't really. And they're like, "Fuck, you got me. I can't do anything else." It's fine. That's my only defense. The only thing I got left on this movie is I wanted to talk about how this was probably one of the first times that I can remember reading a book that really challenged my vocabulary, and that like this book is about words like terrific and radiant. Yes. This book was meant for young kids who are learning their vocabularies 100% through the eyes of and learning all about codependency. And codependency. <laughs> what was it? There was a line that was in this movie. It was, this is the most terrible case of injustice I've ever heard of. And you're like, really? This is the most terrible case of injustice you... It was. I said that in the Wilbur voice. I'm realizing that now. But it was Fern who said that. Correct. A little white girl on a Correct. farm was like, this is the most terrible case of injustice I've ever heard of. Because she didn't get her way. Yeah. And I was like, bitch, a little black kid next to you on a farm will say different. <laughs> but whatever. This is through Fern's eyes. Which eventually we start, Fern is becoming a woman and sees a little nerdy violin kid next door whose yeah. grandpa smashed yeah. his violin. It wasn't just removing the glasses for him. It was also having his violin smashed by his grandfather and camping for the summer. Oh, so I wanted to talk about pigs. Pet pig. I have a note you said. So, Pet pig. Uh, shout out to world famous Penelope the pig. My friend Jessica is the owner of BuzzFeed Famous. <laughs> Big Penelope, and she does a lot of like. There is like a group there. People have pet pigs, man. You can have oh pet no, pigs. for sure. People, there's and a whole group. Penelope on Facebook is for... a pet pig advocate, and she does a lot of charity work for pet pig organizations in the Colorado area. Yeah, so check out Penelope the pig. She's we got saw some charities when we were bartending around these parts. There was a little baby goat, little kid. That was mm-hmm. super cute with a little bow. And I the think one with was, the broken legs. I think, what? Is that Do why it was in the wagon? Yeah, and covered in blankets because his legs didn't work. He no, didn't... I thought it was like molting or doing something. No. It wasn't just because it was like a it broken cat. goat. I, no, I saw the cast on its legs. It had yeah, cast on I thought it had cast for a reason. I wasn't thought it was because it was like, oh, it's broken. Come save this baby goat. <laughs> no, Jesus. it was broken. <laughs> Ugh. Well, people weren't thinking about that. They were just like, oh, and they're like, here, let's. Let's, let's peddle the broken one at everybody. That'll get them to donate more Sympathy. money. Sympathy. It worked. I Cute mean, not on us. We were there to make money. So. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. You know what this movie didn't have any of? Rabbits. It didn't, but our next movie has a fuck ton of it rabbits. It made up for it. And what Charlotte's Web lacked in rabbits. I will say that is kind of a strange thing because farms would have rabbits on them. In this one, they were locked up on that farm in cages. There were farm rabbits in this next movie. Let's get into it. Yeah, there was no... Kick it off, Chloe. There was no rabbits. Watership down. I've never read this book, and I've never seen this movie before. I read the book. You read the book? It's just as long as the movie. (laughs) That's It's really interesting, though. Like, there are times where you're like, motherfucker, you could have cut this out, but we'll get into it. Oh, for sure. 
all the movies we've seen where they've got like lengthy. You're like you got you could cut at least ten minutes out of that prairie walking 100%. scene. Could you don't need to fight that bear? Just move on. Yep. Um, in Lapine language mythology, the world was created by the god Frith. All animals were grass eaters, living harmoniously. The rabbits multiplied, as they tend to do, and their appetite led to a food shortage. Frith ordered the rabbit prince, El Ar- oh God, <clears throat> El Ahara, what is it? El Ahara? El Ahara. They said it in there, but they said it, it in a British accent, and they said it real fast. El Ahara. That was awesome. <laughs> I love that. El Ahara. El Ahara. To control awesome. his people, but was scoffed at. In retaliation, Frith gave special gifts to every animal, making some into predators to hunt the rabbits. Satisfied that El Harahara had learned his lesson, Frith gave rabbits the gift of speed and cunning. He was like, your butt's the only thing sticking out. Because he was like, I'm busy. And he was like, all right, then your booty butt's going to get a nice little special gift. In the present, a warren near Sandalford, a rabbit seer named... A rabbit seer named Fiverr has an apocalyptic vision and takes his older brother Hazel to beg the chief for evacuation. I thought Fiverr was like having a having a spell. No, he's an oracle. I gathered that. Yeah. He just really goes through a lot of physical torture. He does. Most of them do though. Like traditionally, like Cassandra, the Greek seer. Mm-hmm. Oracle, she had a bunch of shit. She went through a lot of physical trauma, and then was raped a bunch because it's Greek, uh, you know. Yeah, there was a lot of a lot of raping. That's but. next week. Right now, we're talking about animals. Okay. <laughs> the chief dismisses them and orders Captain Holly, the head of the Warren's Owslet police force, to stop those trying to leave. Seems a little much. Yeah, yeah. Fiverr and Hazel, along with other rabbits named Bigwig, Blackberry, Pipkin, Dandelion, and Silver. Silver and Violet manage to escape, passing a sign meaningless to them, confirming that a residential development is coming. Unbeknownst to them until much, much, much later, there's only dudes. There's only dudes in this little powwow of theirs. They're That's true. Yeah. Even though there's ones named Blackberry and Dandelion, nope, and Violet, they're all dudes. Well, <laughs> something's about to happen to Violet. We're about to get there. Ah, well, so... The one, the one chick that was supposed to serve yes, all these rabbits. Ugh, I didn't really think about that. There was, there was a lot going on. <laughs> Maybe she didn't either, and then that's why she's like, you know what? I think I'd rather, I'd rather just end it. Uh, they manage to escape, and they pass that sign about residential development. They journey through the woods, avoiding several dangerous situations until Violet, the group's only doe, is killed by a hawk. That's. That sucks. Uh, the others eventually meet a rabbit named Cowslip, who invites them to his warren, where a farmer leaves Cowslip's group ample vegetables. Again, I'd be suspicious, too. They are grateful, but Fiverr leaves when he senses something unsettling in the atmosphere. Bigwig follows, berating Fiverr for causing tension when a snare catches Bigwig. Talk about instant karma. Right. Bigwig's friends manage to free him, and Fiverr learns that the farmer is protecting and feeding Cowslip's warren so that he can snare rabbits for his own meals. The group returns to its journey, as they should. Well, okay, sidebar. These rabbits in this other little warren are real weird. 
They are. They They're weird, like the homeschool kids. Yeah, dude. They have weird eyes. They're like, it's fine. We just give food. We don't know where it comes from. The man gives it. Because Fiverr's like, it smells like a human. And they're like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And he's like, why is it so empty? Stop asking questions. <laughs> Can you tell us a story? They look real the fucking homeschool weird. kids. Yeah, man. They're real creepy. <laughs> the rabbits discover nothing or farm which contains a hutch of domesticated does. Before they can free the females, the farm cat and dog chase them away. Later, they are found by Captain Holly, who recounts the destruction of Sandalford by humans, as well as vicious rabbits called the Ephraphans. Fiverr finally finds the hill he envisioned, Watership Down. Why is it called Watership Down? Do they ever explain that? I don't remember. He just says it's called yeah. Watership Down. Yeah. I don't... Okay. Where the group settles in with Hazel as their new chief. They soon befriend an injured black-headed seagull named Kihar, who flies out in search of does. There's a little manipulation going on there before they he just oh, 100%. is willingly will to go out and for find sure. does for them. That night, the rabbits return to Nothinger Farm to free the does, but an attempt to free them fails, which ends with Hazel getting shot. Fiverr follows a vision of the mythical black rabbit to his injured brother. Kihar returns and while pecking out the buckshot from Hazel's leg with his beak, reports of the many does at the large Ephrafa Warren. Captain Holly describes it as a dangerous totalitarian state, but Hazel feels they must go there. They could have just skipped it. They could have. Bigwig infiltrates the Warren and is made an Ausla officer by their cruel chief, General Woundwart. Bigwig recruits several potential escapees to his cause, including Blackavar. That's a black-ass name. <laughs> <laughs> and Heisenthali. With Kihar's help, the escapees find a boat to float down the river. These are some fucking resourceful bunnies. I know. Like, these bu bunnies. <laughs> Real bunnies do? are not this resourceful, What man. would you do if you were walking over that bridge and you saw a bunch of bunnies on a boat? I would think that I had stepped into Terabithia like or uh, ate some special uh, mushrooms yeah. or something I'd be like what did I just step into is there a cloud of something real life around? Milo and Otis situation going on here oh yeah that night Kihar leaves for his homeland with the gratitude of the Warren Everven trackers eventually find Watership down they just tracked them they found yeah, them they followed really them yeah Woundwort rejects Hazel's offer of peace and demands that all deserters must be turned over or Watership down will be wiped out he specifically says he's going to rip out every bunny's throat. Correct. It's very violent. It, we should talk. We'll get to that. We're going to talk wanna, about that. Yeah, I, I like, literally really, have stuff about that. Oh, great. Because I, I have questions. While the watership rabbits barricade their warren, Fiverr slips into a trance in which he envisions a dog running loose in the woods. His mumblings inspire Hazel to try and release the farm dog and lead it to the Ephraphans. When they arrive at the farm, Hazel unties the dog and releases it while Blackberry, Dandelion, and Heisenthali use themselves as bait to make the animal follow them. Meanwhile, when the Ephraphans break through the Warren's defenses, Woundwort, General Woundwort, this terrifying big motherfucker. The bunny, general. He's huge. He is I'm a big surprised one. he could get around. <laughs> I'm surprised there's not like a team of other bunnies just carrying there, him on there, something. Bunnies, depending on the breed, bunnies can be like 45, 50 pounds. Man. I've seen those big fuckers. You're like, I really want damn. one. I have a friend who has one. Uh, it created a lot of damage in their house. They had to redo their plumbing because the bunny got upset. Oh, Bunnies do get upset. They <laughs> yeah, do but if get it's temperamental. A, it's, a, it's a lot different when a... They're fucking massive. <laughs> four pound bunny gets upset versus a 
45 pound bunny who gets oh, for upset. Sure. That sounds terrifying. It Much is... like this fucking big fucker. Yeah. Meanwhile, when the Everfriends break through the Warren's defenses, Woundwork goes in alone. Black Avar attacks him, but he's easily killed, which is pretty sad. Bigwig ambushes Woundwort and they fight to a standstill. When the dog arrives and starts attacking the Evervins, Woundwort abandons Bigwig and fearlessly attacks the dog. However, no trace of Woundwort is ever found, which leaves his fate a mystery. He was lunch. I hope so. It was a angry, angry, but that was a fatty bunny. Like I'm saying, that's the bunny that the farmer should have been eating on. We should also talk about the difference between a bunny and a hare, because I feel yes. like the general was a hare. Yeah, hares are bigger and they're more aggressive, and they're not like the sweet domesticated bunny. Yes. Like my little bunny was would have died instantly in the wild. She was a domesticated bunny. Oh, for sure. But she this was, was like, yeah, no. like a big wild hare that could really do some fucking damage. Oh. Yeah, with like the gnarly fucking teeth, and you saw and them the all claws, claw on each other yeah, out. Their like, claws oh, for- get really big. I was like, I forgot about wild like bunny claws. They're they're uh, fucked, man. Terrifying because they they have to dig not only down into the dirt. They make those burrows. Right. They're digging through roots. They're digging through twigs. They're digging through a lot of stuff. And that's so their defense system. That too. If they can manage to get their against little... cocksuckers like this fucking general. Yeah. Shit. Seriously. Several years later, an elderly Hazel is visited by a strange, ghostly rabbit who invites him to join his own Ausla, the Ausla of the dead, homie, uh, assuring him of Watership Down's perpetual safety. Reassured, Hazel accepts and dies peacefully. His spirit follows the visitor through the woodland and the trees toward the sun, which metamorphoses into Frith, and the afterlife as Frith's parting advice to El Ahra is heard once more. <laughs> Why should we give a shit about El Rahul and the other bunnies? Um, so when this book came out, there are other books. Like I think that when this book came out, it was under a bigger umbrella. There was okay. like Animal Farm was kind of under the, that umbrella, trying to teach real deep human stories through the eyes of animals we were talking about in the first film. It's the easiest way to teach to about To swallow that weird, fucked up, jagged little pill. Politics mm-hmm. you get into in this. And yeah, and deceit and trustingness. And yeah, no, this is a really deep... Well, with Heisenthaler, they're like, don't trust her. She's a troublesome rabbit. And he's like, you can have whatever dough you want. And all For the doughs sure. are like, I hate it here. Yeah. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> so most this of it, movie was fucking terrifying. It like, was. I, I'm kind of glad I didn't see this as a kid because it was super scary as an adult. I mean, I, even as an adult, the bit for me where their one Captain Holly comes back and was like, you were right. And they were like, I fucking told you so. And he's talking – the animation, even as it's animated, is terrifying. I do about all love the, the animation getting, in this. Getting like burrowed and buried and there's no air for them because they filled all the holes and then all of them went mad and they started eating and clawing at each other. That's and it's just bodies. Ter- He's describing yeah. all the bodies that it, are backed uh, up. Yeah, that's terrifying. And you don't think about that, though, about what happens when people go in and fill in rabbit holes. That happens. I do. I think about scary. that shit. It's so sad. Yeah, that was terrifying. <laughs> it happens all the time. Yeah, because they're There's in. Not well, they always a, burrow a, themselves in that. Well, that story. So when I was a kid, I remember in our yard, our grass had overgrown, and that's what they do. They kind of dig a little, but maybe some of the weaker ones don't dig as deep, and they had kind of pressed down like a little bed of grass, and then other grass had grown over it. 
And then my stepdad was like, okay, now it's time to go mow the lawn. Did he kill a bunch of bunnies? Yeah. We, I have a pretty gnarly <laughs> yeah. bunny story yeah. similar and to that. Some, one of them escaped into the house because my cat cheesed it in there. And then we had to try to get it out. But my cat was like, look at, you know that meme of like the black guy that's like rubbing his hands and licking his lips and creeping out from behind <laughs> yeah, the tree? That yeah. was my cat looking through the French doors at this bunny oh into God. like into my stepdad's office. She was like, I'm gonna fucking eat you. And I just remember looking at my boyfriend at the time being like, how are we going to get it out? Like the cat, she's like, look at her chops. Like, what are we going to do? And he's like, well, there's always one way we could get it out. I was like, what? And then he was like, bam. And he like signaled, like pushing the desk up against the wall. I was like, oh my God. Like he oh did my it. God. He did it to upset me, obviously. But I was like, no bunny had a good time around that house. So my horrific, I'm glad that you have a horrific bunny story that, because I have a horrific bunny. You have bunny. one too? Yeah. No. So I I told you I had an Irish terrier growing up. Oh and, no. Um, the bu- The bunny, little mama bunny, she made her nest that in was a, a thing. corner it was of a our nest yard. With babies and a mm-hmm. mama. Mm-hmm. And they don't make those nests very deep. It's not they like don't. in the burrow. It's like a tiny little hole. Why is and that? And my dog, my mom thought the dog was just having a good time out in the yard and then <gasps> she really she did, went really outside digging a hole out there he's having a good outside she went outside and started finding like little tufts of hair <gasps> all over the yard and then she found the bunnies and not all of them were dead and so she had to I mean, she put the bunnies out of their misery, but my mom, I came home from school one day and my mom was like, well, I killed a nest of bunnies today because the dog fucking mutilated them and that was my day. I was like, holy shit, mom. Oh, <laughs> what a God. day. Did you like make your mom a scotch? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> my dog was having the best oh, day Oh, yeah. Best day for ever. your dog's worst day for your mom. I know. And worst day for those bunnies. I feel real bad for okay, the babies. Okay, well, we're the, the worst. I would say it goes dog mom bunnies for yeah. sure in order of best to worst. i will say my mom still talks about that incident like yeah, her murdering would, those fucking, bunnies was really dramatic with her man that's some shit that <laughs> yeah. sticks with you because she, she like you don't know what they looked like when she found them no this was all done while i was at school it was Thank completely God. cleaned up by the time we got home from school but goddamn. <laughs> Dude, okay, shout out to moms who have to do stuff like that because my mom had to do something yeah, like that. Yeah, you got to clean cat, up these gnarly, gnarly ass messes well, before the kids get home. Well, our old neighbors used to leave their garage door cracked and then so our cat somehow got out and crawled up under the wheel well and fell asleep under there and they fucking backed out of their garage, which just so happened to face our front door. Did you so tell me that they killed your cat? It fucking spun her out and spit her out on our lawn up against our house. It, I mean, I'm being dramatic right now. I imagine it just like, doom, doom, like um, fucking like. And my then, heart is breaking and so right now. My, and it was our cat and she wasn't terribly old. And so my mom found her before we went to school and like had to get her mangled body. And like, I just remember coming home from school and being like, la, 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 where's the cat? And I unknowingly passed a box on the front porch not knowing that that box was for like animal control to come and like pick up. Fuck, dude. Yeah, and she was like, "We know that." This conversation's passed. just as heavy as this fucking movie. It, it's. I loved the animation though. I'm glad you brought that up. The animation it, it was, was like a watercolor stunning. style. I couldn't find a. T- I wanted so to do the more an- there find isn't a, a bunch. So the book has very little pictures to it, mm-hmm. but the art style of the book is very similar to the art style of the movie and it's great it's beautiful 
It feels like stills. It doesn't feel like cell animation. You know what I mean? Well, because there's wa- it's watercolor. Like yeah. there's a lot of watercolor done in there. Nothing. Just a lot of mention of its violence. Um, that's what I was gonna say. The most of the contra- <laughs> no mention of the amazing animation, just the violence. Correct. Most of the controversy surrounding the movie and the original text of the book surrounds the rabbits because it is fucking gnarly. They're but I'm gonna tell you, dude. Out. Real rabbits, even the cute domesticated ones, are mean. Do not like each other. Bunnies can like female bunnies can be together. The male bunnies are really territorial, and they will so kill that each way other. They had all the does like in there for they were sure. Like, oh, all the does can hang out together. Yeah, man. Bunnies are bunnies very, are very, very territorial, and they will kill each other. Well, that's a common thing in a lot of animals is that they have all the women in their like kind of cohorts. And then they just find random dudes along the way to fuck them, and then they have babies, and then they keep the babies, but the men go off and do whatever, fuck all. Like, they're just... People complain about not having daddies. (laughs) 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 The wilderness is a hard... Like, because you know about... Do you know about gorillas? Well, yeah, I know that male gorillas really don't have much. They'll kill the babies. So, yeah, do you want to know why? So, like, it's like a competition. They're like, hey. Well, so there's one male, and then there's like a harem of female gorillas. Correct. They assume that they're fucking all of them. But there are other male gorillas that will stalk the harems and follow them as they're traveling. And then they'll like go get in the bushes with one of the females. She'll get pregnant. And yes, if the alpha male catches the other male, if the baby doesn't, the baby smell, doesn't like him. smell like yeah. him, if he kind of catch, that's why she tries to like rub up on it, you know, and get all get all her scenties on it. Because if he finds it, they'll fucking rip them apart. Yeah, really, are fucking they'll fuck you up. Animal Kingdom is very unforgiving. I loved the poppies too. All the watercolor poppies in this were I, fucking gorgeous. I, yeah, I was looking at those because I'm currently growing poppies at my house. Well, you like, know oh, my thing for poppies. Poppies. Oh my god, the poppies next to the pile of trash. <laughs> Delicious. Okay, that was the my one thing I wanted to say for this. All the bunnies in this sound like Jeremy Irons. Yeah, except for. The one that's voiced by William Hurt, because which is the general, right? Obvious. Is it the William general? Hurt. Who is William no. Hurt? In this? I'm pretty sure uh, Bigwig was. That would make sense. Here's the deal: all Big the bunnies me. looked alike. It was really hard <laughs> to tell which bunny was which. When you say all, what do you mean, Aaron? All bunnies look. Motherfucker, the same? don't even right now. It's true with bunnies though, because like they're yeah. I mean, they have little things. They did do a TV miniseries in 2018. Really. Um. Redid this one. I just with like Nicholas Holt and James McAvoy, in case you were wondering. Okay. <laughs> IMDb doesn't like the page. It literally is like, <laughs> it's like Fuck no you. bunnies. Hazel is John Hurt. Okay, the uh, brother Richard Briers is Fiverr. Uh, I was like, I get Wait, what that you... guy's in there. You've seen him a bunch. Roy Kinnear. Roy, Roy Kinnear is Pipkin, aka the. From this season, he's Richard. Baruch, o- he's Mr. Salt. Salt. Yep, Richard O'Callahan, Dandelion, Lynn Farley is the cat. There's, but no Jeremy Irons. No, I know he wasn't in it. It just everybody just sounded no, like but it, it's it, old of, British people. Because they're old British people. <laughs> yeah, they, but I was like Jeremy Irons sounds like all the bunnies. Again, I couldn't tell them apart. I was like, they're all talking. <laughs> they're bunnies. 
there's not enough. Like Fiverr was obviously like the slender one with the traumatized eyes. That was clear, at least there were some happy moments. There were a few like fleeting happy moments in this movie because the next they got movie to their Warren that was sweet. Yeah, this yeah. one. Well, all okay. Facts. The two before this next one are animated, and this Correct. one is not. Is not. You're feeling it. I mean, don't get me wrong. Do you I feel felt like, everything last? I mean, I guess I'm. We I can pose this question again a little bit, but do you feel like it being live action over animation makes it harder to watch? Think on it. Don't mm, answer that yet. Yeah, let's get food into for this. Thought for the end. Black Beauty, or the or Chronicle. Beauty. So the <laughs> they just call them beauty, beauty sometimes. A lot, yeah, calling someone black again. Two names is really hard to call an animal. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to reprimand them. The books were like a series. It was like the Chronicles of Black Beauty. It was a multi-book series. But here we go. Black Beauty narrates his own story, narrated by the one, the only, Alan Alan Cummings. Cummings. He's born on a farm in the English countryside during the 19th century and remains by his mother's side until he's sent to Britwick Park to serve Squire Gordon and his family. I just didn't believe the beginning at first because he was like, I was, my mother prepared me. I was happy to leave my mother. And I was like, no, you weren't. You have no idea what life has in store for you. <laughs> right. This is the happiest your life has ever been. Ever. Going to be ever. Except the end. But we're yeah, going to get true. there. But enjoy your kneecaps while you can. Oh my God, girl. <laughs> Lady Gordon, the squire's sick wife, is pleased by the beautiful horse and gives him his trademark name, Black Beauty. Beauty is smitten with the squire's cynical chestnut mare, Ginger who rebuffs his attempts to be friendly. However, Beauty also befriends Mary Legs, the perky gray pony who gives rides to the little girls, <laughs> Mary Molly and Legs. Jess. I know, I like that. That just sounds like like either they have happy legs or you're making fun it's of It's a them. pony. Ponies do have Mary Legs. They do. On a stormy night, Beauty is pulling a carriage holding the squire and his caretaker, John Manley, who is the guy... Who's the Carson head butler? From yeah, Carson Downton from Abbey. Downton Abbey. I was like, I instantly trust I you. I literally said Carson <laughs> out loud. <laughs> I like instant. Well, after we both were like, this dude has been typecast since the nineties. Right? I didn't that realize is exactly this. what I was thinking, and I was like, <laughs> except he he makes it inside the house. I guess that's later true. in life. He's you know, no he longer started, outside with the horses. Yeah, he started in the hor- with the horses. Now he's. You know, start from the bottom that's now we so hear. so fucking funny. Sensing danger, he refuses to cross the bridge that's partially flooded. People should listen to beauty more. They really should. Well, horses in general. Horses are very smart. They're instinctive. When John tries to tell him to move, beauty steadfastly refuses. When the bridge finally gives way, crashing into the river, John slips and falls in, but manages to hang on to beauty's bridle. Narrated by Alan Cummings only makes beauty sweeter. No, for sure. Uh, I will say if anybody else narrated this, I I don't think it would have the same vibe. Not at all. I didn't want to cross the bridge. You're like, oh my God. (laughs) I'm crying. Listen to beauty. Listen to Alan Cummings. (laughs) You're right. Right. Beauty and the Squire save John, and they head back home. Joe Green, who works in the stable, volunteers to look after Beauty that night, the little kid. (sighs) Joe. Joe real dumb. He's a dumbass, and his lack of knowledge about horses causes him to give Beauty ice-cold water to drink and neglect to dry him off or cover him with a rug that night, which causes him to fall sick. He literally is like, oh, the water's cold, and like, hey, I'd like my blanket. He's like, you don't need a blanket. As the... Horse is literally trying to pull the blanket yeah, down. Yeah, like, I would like a blanket, please. <laughs> Animals will tell you what they want. Mm-hmm. 
The following days, John, Joe, and the squire treat and nurse Beauty back to health, and he recovers. Unfortunately, Lady Gordon's illness, however, gets worse. And Maybe because Joe is in the room. Who right? knows? <laughs> she's taken to a doctor in a carriage pulled by Beauty and Ginger. When they stop at an inn for the night, the barn where the horses are being kept catches fire due to carelessly dropped pipe. Luckily, it just after like, this dude that, is yelling that at guy everyone was like, you about you left, you yeah. left your the lamp up here. You're a dumbass. You were worried about me, and he was like, "Uh, for you to see, bitch. Can Maybe you, bring you shouldn't it back have with a you? pipe up there either." You and then dumbass. he still lit it on fire. Right? God, that guy. Luckily, nasty. Joe. That rescues, guy should have been burnt up in that fire. He really should have. Luckily, though, Joe pulls a solid and he rescues the horses. Lady Gordon's he owes do- beauty at <laughs> this for point. For <laughs> sure. Lady Gordon's doctor orders her to leave England for a warmer place because her illness is so severe. The squire and his family bid a sad goodbye to John, Joe, and the horses. Mary Legs is given to the vicar who promises never to sell the pony. Beauty it might and be G- good for that sociopath son of <laughs> I theirs. Know, right? Beauty and Ginger are taken to Eshnell Park, home of the Lord Lady Wexmere. <laughs> and Joe bids a tearful goodbye to Beauty vowing to come back for her and no matter how long it takes it's a very or how passion he, or how hot he gets that too <laughs> for all the stupid he brings in the beginning mm. he, he makes up right at the end yeah he does beauty and ginger are paired up to pull lady wexmer's carriage but she demands that the horses wear uncomfortable bearing reins to raise their heads high which angers ginger <laughs> ginger wasn't taking anybody's I know, shit from I the beginning love ginger ginger was the shit when the next day the Lady Wexmere orders the horse's heads be strapped up even further, Ginger breaks away from the carriage in a rage, leading to Lady Wexmere forbidding her on any further use of her carriage dragging. I wish she would have kicked Lady Wexmere. <laughs> Man, for sure, right? She is later used for racing by the Wexmere's son, who whips her heavily and strains her back. Reuben Smith, the horse's caretaker, rides into town with Beauty to take the carriage to be repainted. He becomes very drunk at a local tavern. Despite the warnings from the blacksmith's apprentice, he nevertheless roughly rides Beauty home, who loses one of her shoes and completely fucks up her knees. When the shoe finally falls off, Beauty stumbles and throws Reuben off the saddle, causing both rider and horse to suffer injuries. Yep. But honestly, probably not as bad as he would have if he wasn't drunk. Very true. A big fun fact about drunk car accident injuries you have a better chance of living if yeah you're if not you're, tensing up you, correct go limp is the lesson there <laughs> <laughs> if you feel yourself being flung through the air go limp both are found the next morning by wexmere's men reuben is sacked from his job and beauty is later sold by lord wexmere due to his disfigured knees beauty is bought by a man who keeps horses for renting and treats them terribly oh so sad he is eventually taken to a fair where he's briefly spots joe now grown up but joe doesn't notice him as he's like neighing desperately for joe like, to look joe, at him i know you're hot now joe. but can't you see me beauty's wines instead catch the attention of jerry baker aka professor <laughs> i was like yeah <laughs> david thewis <laughs> Professor Lupin, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who is a taxi carriage driver in London in this movie and is immediately taken by Beauty and buys him once successfully haggling the cost down to 17 guineas. Jerry introduces Beauty to his very warm family, wife and two young children who name him Black Jack. 
which he doesn't like. I'm just going to tell you. He likes beauty better because <laughs> he's, like, he's okay, beautiful. I guess. I've been the, called beauty for most of my life, right? but you can change my name now. The beauty dislikes the harshness of London. He nevertheless takes his – he nevertheless likes his job as a taxi cab horse and Jerry's kind treatment of him. One day, beauty spots and reunites with Ginger. She's now a cab horse herself who has suffered from years of abuse by her owner. Beauty begs for her not to give up, but – too soon is she is led away by her owner onto a fair. Sometime later, Beauty spots her dead body on a wagon. Her troubles finally overcoming her. Her tongue sticking out. So oh, fucking God. sad. One snowy night, Jerry has a dreadful cough that worsens as he keeps waiting outdoors for hours in the freezing weather for his passengers to leave a party. His God. condition then worsens and a doctor advises him to quit his job and move to the countryside. Beauty is reluctantly sold to a grain dealer where he's forced to pull heavy loads of flour. After two years of pulling carts, he collapses from utter exhaustion. Beauty is taken to a fair to be sold. Most of these horses at this fair are being sold for like meat and shit. Yeah, because there's people that are like, that's all they're good for. Yeah. And you're like, aww. He is now so weak and in such poor condition that most people reject him. Then... Farmer Thoroughgood and his grandson spot Beauty. And a young man sees him too. Beauty realizes that the- He still takes forever to see him. God, Joe. Get it together, Joe. Right this moment, Beauty realizes that the young man is hot Joe. (laughs) Yes. On recognizing his voice- and though he's hardly able to, he finds the strength and whinnies for his old friend, and the two are finally reunited. Beauty lives the remainder of his life at Thoroughgood's farm with Joe, who promises that he will never sell Beauty, and he literally just lays his ass down and eats grass until he dies. He, has he does a great look a lot healthier. Well, because he's not beaten, beaten. Well, yeah, and he's eating sure. on a regular basis. Why should we give a shit about this depressing ass movie? Because Alan Cummings is a horse. Sean Bean doesn't die. Oh my God. I read your <laughs> note just now. At first, no, I, before that, I read made me want to be a horse instead of made me want a horse. And I was oh, like, no, the no. fuck? No, I'm not <laughs> Tina. Belcher, I don't want to be a horse. I wanted a horse. This movie definitely, I was going through my horse phase when I loved this movie. Like well, it made you want to. It made you face. want to get a horse that make sure that you treated, you treated it, it real so nice. Well, yeah, nothing was ever going to happen to it. But you realize that in this movie, that there are moments where the, even the people that love them the most, just situations happen where they have to give the horse up. Oh, for sure. And uh, horses are, for as strong as they are, they're also very fragile. If literally anything happens to their legs, they're done they're for. Done for. <laughs> it's really crazy. Because well, what, what, horses it, are mostly legs. I was well, they're mostly legs. Yes, visually, but think of all the weight that are hanging on those stilts. One hundred percent. I get what you're all the body from. weight. So it's like eventually, they're. It's like you think about it. He's like, oh my knees, and that's when I was looking at it. When you're like, oh your poor knees, oncoming horse, <laughs> and it's like a little like an hourglass. Their knees are like an hourglass, and then you've got this big bulky horse weight because horses are fucking heavy. Yeah, they're tons, and their and their thighs are powerful because if. Ask anyone who's ever been kicked by a fucking horse or fought. My grandmother fell off a horse. After she got thrown off a horse, she had problems with her back for the rest of her life. 
and ALS. But yeah, you know. hair, horses are scary, man. They're smart. They're scary. They get spooked easily. Yeah, the spooking. Thing. They're they're very very touchy creatures. But I always everybody just wants to. Maybe this is where we got our viewpoints on on love. We were like, but if we just give them enough attention, they'll love us back. Yeah. If I love it harder, it'll love me back eventually. That's not how this works. Yeah, you noticed what, my first note and your note too. Sean Bean, Sean Bean doesn't, doesn't die. die. And my theory is it's because he doesn't have a lot of lines. The moment he opens his mouth, he's going to die. Like, that's your theory. <laughs> I think we it, should come up with a fucking horror movie about Sean Bean. <laughs> where, like, Sean Bean doesn't die. Or a Sean Bean like actor where it's like every time the actor opens his mouth, he dies. But if Or it's a horror movie where Sean Bean dies every 10 minutes. Hmm. And it's called Sean Bean Doesn't Die, but every time he opens his mouth, he dies. He dies. <laughs> well, that was my thought. Sean Bean is like top billing for this when you're looking through the credits. And I was like, oh, Sean Bean's in this. Someone's going to die. I said, Well, they so. can't bill the horse. There were two horses, by the way. <laughs> if you notice in the credits, there were two horses that were played, that that played hor- Black Beauty. Aww. Also, I wanted to mention that this movie basically had its fanfare on home video. Even though it had fantastic reviews from all the standards, like Roger and Ebert and shit from back in the day, uh, no one went to see this movie. I had this movie on VHS. I remember this movie from home box office. That's for sure. So something that I wanted to bring up, this movie came out in 94. And from 93 to 95, the guy who plays the head groomer who is in the opening shot with Sean Bean is in a TV show that came out from 93 to 95 called Sharp. The head groomer's name is Lyndon Davies. And it just looks like maybe this was something for those two. Like maybe those two were really popular in this show and they oh. popped them in this movie because this movie came out right in the middle of this TV show. Oh, okay. I it's don't just know a big anything about thing the of Sean Bean holding a sword. All right, Sean Bean. A series of stories starring Sean Bean as Richard Sharp, a fictional British soldier in the Napoleonic Wars as he fights both Napoleon's forces and the strong prejudice of British aristocracy. Interesting. And he did that for two years. Why did years. our families force us to watch sad animal movies? There's a lot of fucking sad animal movies. I didn't really movies. start putting any of this shit together start, until we started doing the season, but a lot of like sad, Until this tragic... season specifically, where we're like, what's the theme of this episode? Dead dogs. What's the theme of this episode? Dead kids. What's the theme of this episode? <laughs> Bullying and rape. Like, it's been... fuck off. What the hell happened in our childhood? I'm really fucking confused. They were trying to inform us of everything that happened in the 70s and 80s. <laughs> well, music was done by Danny Elfman. He needed a job. He, need- <laughs> he needed. <laughs> he was like, Black Beauty should do it. Sure. Tim Burton's not paycheck. Com- Tim Burton's do- having a lull of a year in 94. So I feel like I need something. Oingo Boingo isn't as popular in 94. Fucking love Oingo Boingo, man. I know, me too. Also, a throwback to when we did Bedazzled for Raquel Welch last season, even though Raquel Welch was in it for like approximately a little over seven minutes. Eleanor Braun and Peter Cook are Lady and Lord Wexmire. Correct. Eleanor Braun has aged like a fine wine. Absolutely. And Peter Cook aged like an old bag of milk. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> or I yeah. believe I said pile of milk earlier, yeah. Yeah. which is a great yeah. visual, but old milk is British guys for you, man. <laughs> they all turn into a pile of milk. 
Eleanor Braun. Eleanor Braun just has this streak in her hair that she's just, great. Like, she was cute when she was younger. In she's the Beatles literally, movie. dude. She's literally the living embodiment of the evil stepmother from Cinderella. Oh, hundred percent with the hair and everything. She Absolutely. knows it. She knows it. Yeah, she's she great. got her evil stepmother vibes in this too when she was torturing horses via her servants. Oh, you wanted to ask me a question though about this live action versus animation. Yes. Do I feel like? It makes it easier to palette with it being animated. I think so. Could you imagine how fucking terrifying Watership Down would have been if it was a live action? There's no way. <laughs> that's why they, had, no to, they way. had to keep it animated. Well, that's and the 2018 one was CGI. I think that's the best you can get. Yeah. It was yeah. like live action mixed that's with CGI. That's their next version of it. But I think you, with clever editing and cutting away, you can still imply pain and violence oh for sure still hard but yeah i would say i think it made it harder also alan cummings voice is so fucking sweet that it makes it sound like this very sweet innocent animal is being harmed which is exactly what it is yeah so yeah i was sad. a plus job as per usual alan cummings we love you so much you know i feel like ellen mcgregor would make a good black beauty oh my god he would right for sure that would also make me cry he has a very sweet tone to his voice well, there's some sweet things in this episode as much as there was animal violence. Yeah, animal violence is definitely we got a lot of animal violence. Right. We're, I mean, we're uh, that was the theme of the putting past. a lot of things together from our childhood. All of a sudden, <laughs> <laughs> the horror, the horror. <laughs> well, that's all fabulous end note. <laughs> well, that's all for this week, Chloe. What are the movies next week? Next week. Get ready for some bullies, baby. <laughs> like, were you bullied? Because this episode's gonna feel a little bit like that. I mean, we're not gonna more bully trauma. you. We're just gonna be there with you while we all get bullied. Yes, it's basically what it is. Uh, we are kicking things off with Harriet the Spy, nineteen ninety six. This movie hits different. That's all I'm gonna say about that. And then we are watching Speak from two thousand and four. Followed up by Bridge to Terabithia from 2007, which mm-hmm. was a little past our prime movie-wise. Movie-wise, we, we but walked, not the book. We went back to it, yeah, but yeah. we are joined next week by our very special guest, Denise Cordova. Hello! She is from Monday Movie Cinema Club. She deals with 30 AF. She does movie trivia on a constant basis. She is a guest I feel like is worthy of bringing on the show. Absolutely. Strap in for a fabulous episode. Don't forget to follow us on Spotify. Also follow us on our social media accounts, the Require Viewing Podcast and all the things. Aaron Malane Official on all the things. Chloe Riggs makes things on Instagram. And until next time, my friends, happy viewing. Happy viewing. This has been a Required Viewing Network production. A big thank you to the RVP team. Director, writer, producer, host, Aaron Mullane. Social media manager, graphics, editor, producer, host, Chloe Riggs. As well as a big thank you to our guest contributors and the RVP community for supporting the show. This is Required Viewing. 